Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Are you a Survivor fan? Then you have got to check out Rob Has a Podcast, hosted by Survivor competitor Rob Sesternino. Every week, you'll be recapping the upcoming season of Survivor, so you don't miss any of the action. Plus, Rob is celebrating his 10th year of podcasting, so you know he's a total pro. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Hmm. Kind of weird intro there, Steve. Just let it build up. Yeah. What are we letting build up? We have a we have a very special announcement here on the PFF NFL podcast. You're looking at one seventh of the inaugural PFF Hall of Fame class. Huh. Sam, congratulations. You just got inducted into the PFF Hall of Fame this weekend. We're just going to play it right in with our NFL Hall of Fame tunes. I see. How do you feel? You didn't get to give a speech the other night. You had to share the spotlight with everyone else. So this is your platform, man. Uh Uh-huh. A little acceptance speech. What do you you think? Were you expecting this? Uh, Yes, because I had to arrange for the trophies to be created. Oh, wow. So it wasn't that much of a surprise. No. Also, you were one of only seven people that were actually eligible. Yeah. So my chances are strong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. That was that was great. Thanks. Now let's move on quickly. You don't want to... No, we're not going to harp on the PFF no. Hall of Fame? No. This is both weird and uncomfortable. What? Well, that was the whole point. That's yeah. why we had the we had the music all queued up for no, you. Oh, yeah. It's nice. So you got to be with the company 10 years to make the PFF Hall of Fame. Yeah. Which makes you eligible next year. Yeah, so just like a couple years ago, you know, it was like contract year and Steve's trying to do everything he can to earn the contract. I mean, this whole year is going to be me trying to convince my peers that, um, you know. Well, not peers. I mean, we're Hall of Famers. You're not. Wow. The Hall of Fame is already getting to everyone's head here, by yeah. the way. Rick Drummond, who's already, In he, he worked 45 minutes this morning and went home. Right. That was it. Yeah. Here's the thing. At some point next year, Heading into this ceremony or into the the whatever next year's election is, somebody's going to have to make your case to the room. I have Dr. Eager over there wants to make my case. That doesn't seem wise. He wants to be like my Pete Prisco to right you know, for Tony Baselli. He does. I look. I don't. I don't know if the doctor would do the best job for you. 
Oh, I think he would. He'd put some numbers to it and everything. He would show PFF's growth since 2011 when I when I joined the company. I mean, I think he could. I just don't know if he would. What, based off of all the uh, jabs he took at me <laughs> at the uh, party the other night? PFF party the other night. Eric was a host. And, you know, just putting this into numerical form, I'm pretty sure I was the butt of at least 75% of the jokes. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Renner came in at about 60%. Uh-huh. You were in one, and then everyone else was like, you know. Well, he pointed out correctly that, that there's almost nothing in life that brings me greater joy than mocking you. So he pulled yeah. up the your, the your haircut picture, the Shirley Temple. Yeah, so that stemmed from the fact Eric and George both moved over here a couple of years ago, and they were, they were here about a year and a half before they heard you laugh, smile, do anything with anything positive on your face, essentially. Uh-huh. And it took a bad haircut for me. Yeah. From me to like turn uh, things around. It was a great, terrible haircut, though. I mean, it was it was something. It, it was, was rough, something to behold. But I was the runner-up for about twelve awards the other night. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, including uh, including something to do with baseball. Best baseball analyst in the company. I was yeah. a runner-up. Best, best hair, hair runner-up. Yeah. Shout out to Parlor though. You had the, the two finalists, Nate Gerstle and myself. Yeah. So good for them. You know, Parlor and. Uh, Hyde Park, Cincinnati. Anyway, can we talk some actual NFL? Congrats, topics? man! I was I, I'm sorry. I was I'm making a big. This is a big thing. The PFF Hall of Fame. Okay, you're gonna get jackets. Gonna get bright green PFF green jackets. Neil does want to get jackets. It's got to be PFF green. It's got to be really bad. And yeah, then I, th- I think it should somebody be, gets the bright red if they're you know like the Hackenberg. I think it should be the original. PFF green with that like horrendous helmet thing that Neil designed yes. in his spare time yes. with presumably MS Paint. That's what it needs to be. Like that should be on the the pocket, like the the Hall of Fame logo. And then what do you? So you guys are gonna like? So you're gonna have like a committee meeting next year. You all wear the jackets there. Yeah. Then you're gonna wear them to the party every year. Committee meeting next year where we hear your case for induction. It's a light class. You don't feel like a first ballot guy to me. There might be nobody going in next year then. It's Brian Hall and me. Yeah. You have to be with the company 10 years. I could see next year, Neil's just like, all right, well, Chris is getting in. Right. He's been here six years, but he's getting in. We Who cares? the company, so we're he's just, good. We're just going to break the rules for him. Yeah. It's like everybody wanted to induct Kobe right away, right? You know, forget the forget whatever Chris the waiting is period good? is. It's not my choice yet. I mean, it's, you know, Neil, Neil does. Neil's going to put him in. Chris is off to... Uh, New Zealand for a month. You think he's still going to be listening to us? The do whole you need month? me to do you one of those maps for New Zealand, Australia, the same way you have your British Isles one? Do you know what's going no. on down there? Yeah, I mean, New Zealand is a part of the Australian continent, but it's a whole separate country. The Australian continent? Yeah, there's a continent of Australia of which New Zealand is a part. I think you might need a map. Is that is that false? What I just said is true. All right, so which continent is New Zealand on? I mean, it's Australasia. It's not Australia. Australia is the name of the continent and also the country. I mean, I, Australasia? Yeah. So, like, it stands up, that group of islands. It, it doesn't matter. It's part of the Australian continent. There are seven continents, of which one is Australia. Hmm. Hmm. This, this, this I know I'm right. This is deviating quite a bit from NFL. This I know I'm right. You're trying to get us back on track today. Yeah. All right. Somebody going to give me some more information here? About what? 
What are you looking at? Somebody usually comes in, chimes in, and tells me Steve's right. Australia is the continent. Anyway, Nobody let's chimes go. in. Let's just start talking. What are we doing? Off season needs for all thirty two teams. That's the title. That's what we're doing. Let's get into it. We're gonna go. What do you do? Do you think we can get through the whole NFL, or do we have to split this thing up? We split it up. Okay. So AFC today. Yes. All right. AFC off season needs. That's what we're gonna do. The we'll actual f- continent you're searching for is Oceania or Australasia. It's not Australia. That is Australia not is the name of the continent. I mean, it, it is. No. I mean, yes. <laughs> it's, not like it's not a debatable point. It's, it's, it's not Australia. Sir, Google the seven continents. Okay. What are the seven continents? So you want me to put... Uh, I also have to answer this question real quick. God. People get into my house and they need it. They need an address. This, this is, is something everything. that, like, children learn in school. Like, Scout has a song about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, the... What the hell? So, okay. There you go. So, the song has it listed that way. As what? Having said that... Australia? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. It's one of the seven continents. Anyway, we're doing off-season needs for all 32 teams. Starting in the AFC, we'll finish it probably on Thursday with the NFC. Let's start... As we have it on PFF.com. Look at all those continents. Asia and Europe and Australia. I don't need a song. I just know them. According to Nations Online, it's not. It's Oceana, which is how everyone else knows it. No, I've never heard of Oceana. Apparently, you had to dump down for five-year-olds in a school. You turned into Australia. New Zealand is not part of the continent of Australia, but a separate submerged continent of Zealandia. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) There's eight continents. According to producer ken here huh so now there's eight continents is this like pluto like is pluto a a planet this is the worst podcast we've ever done all right we could start right now let's salvage it starting the afc north we're going team by team team needs let's discuss what these teams need to do this offseason where they might go in free agency what they need to replace and all that fun stuff yeah baltimore ravens first team up pff.com we get the whole official write-up here's what uh ben Lindsay wrote this right yeah ben Lindsay's been doing some great work someone who can generate pressure without a blitz Mm. is the big team need we have matthew judon heading to free agency and we've talked about all year about how the ravens have really done a nice job of scheming up pressure blitzing more than any team in the nfl but you still kind of want to have a guy that can go and win one-on-ones yeah i mean they're in a great situation because what you're looking for essentially is depth and luxuries because they've done everything right. You know, they've got the quarterback. They've got weapons for him. They've added a ton of talent to the defensive side of the ball. What they could use is, you know, some future proofing of that talent so that if a guy goes down, they're not completely screwed. And then, yeah, Judon's hitting free agency. But the beauty is he'll be on one of our sort of buyer beware lists because as much as he had had decent numbers this year, they, what they did on defense in terms of scheming up blitz pressure. Um, Do you want the numbers? Sure. You got him. 35 of his 62 pressures were unblocked or we call cleanup pressures. So like late in the down and ones that weren't necessarily from beating a blocker. Yeah, that's 35 out of 62. Most guys might have 15 of these 20 of them tops Mm -hmm. 35 out of 62 more than half. Yeah, that's a huge amount. And his grade on one on one blocks is not good at all. So Judon is going to appear on a sort of buyer beware list of, of free agents well, that's actually a good thing for the Ravens because it means, A, you can effectively replace him without that much work and be pretty comfortable in the, your um, ability to 
get the same kind of production almost regardless of who you put there. But B, it means that you can get better. Because if you find a guy that can actually win one-on-one consistently, right. now you've got a guy who's going to get that level of pressure anyway because the scheme is generating half of it. And this guy is going to get going to do a better job because he can actually win those one-on-one opportunities more than somebody like Judon can. So I think if the Ravens can find a legit edge-rushing um, uh, upgrade in either free agency or the draft, that defense can get even better. Yeah, you don't want to be completely at the mercy of the scheme for creating pressure. So. Right. Um, it does add a little bit more flexibility. They might want to bring Judon back if the price isn't mm-hmm. you know, too steep. Other things we looked at is secondary needs interior O-line with the great Marshall Yanda getting older, wide receiver, linebacker. Um, just, again, going back to before the season, the fact that the Ravens essentially had a complete overhaul. Not complete overhaul, but a big overhaul in their front seven and still ended up getting better defensively, going 14-2, um, one of the big stories because they built their defense from back to front and they did a great job of it. Yeah, I mean, really, that's their sort of clear number one need. And I think after that, they're just looking at either depth or future proofing the roster, getting succession plans in place for some of the aging or older veterans that they have in the team, which when you which puts them in a great spot because it means that fundamentally this must be one of the a the favorites for next year and be one of the most complete rosters in the NFL because there aren't many holes on it. Yeah, and I think with wide receiver, they did a good job with what they had, but just adding more potential weapons there, downfield threats in that play-action heavy attack would certainly help. Staying in the AFC North, Pittsburgh Steelers. We went with new faces on the interior of the offensive line. You got Ramon Foster, 34 years old, getting a little bit. And that's old, man. 34. Mm. It's almost our age. Wow. It's not good. Marquise Pouncey, again, who they love and the NFL just believes is Pro great. Baller. Yes. Um, he's coming off his lowest PFF grade of his career. Cap hit of $11 million in both 2020 and 2021. I'm not expecting them to move on from Pouncey. Gets them into the right plays and does all these different things. But um, it's something we've identified as taking a step back, the interior of the O-line for the Steelers. Their biggest need is quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger's old and busted his elbow, and Duck sucks, and Rudolph wasn't any better. So they need a quarterback quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Ben will bounce back and still be okay, but I think they need to treat it like he won't. Yeah, he's old and just wrecked his elbow. That's a bad combination. Yeah, I mean, those that, all those 0-4 quarterbacks have basically hit a wall at this point. Yeah, they've also they also have a needed edge defender for like the fifteenth straight year. And it's because Bud Dupree hits free agency. T.J. Watt has established himself as one of the league's best on one side. But those best Steelers defenses of years past, they're running a similar scheme still. Of years past, it was James Harrison, Lamar Woodley, um, you know, Greg Lloyd back in the day. I mean, it's the same thing. You really, we really need those two guys coming off the edge to make things work. And they've, they've only got one, so it's another place for them to look yeah, and, honestly, and potentially draft again. Even if Bud Dupree wasn't hitting free agency, you would it would be a gamble to suggest that he would do it again. I mean, his highest PFF grade before this season was 63, and it jumped up to 78 this year. His total pressures was a career high as well. Like, he was good this season, and... He didn't even sustain the really good that he was earlier in the year. I, I mean, you would, you'd be gambling if you banked on that happening twice. Standing in the division, the Cleveland Browns, we went offensive tackle. 
Yeah, well, the biggest, biggest need. The biggest need they had was fixing head coach, and in theory, they've done that. In theory, yeah. Um, you know, whatever we like, Freddie Kitchens, it just wasn't going well. Like he wasn't able to control the personalities that were there. He wasn't doing a lot in terms of um, adding value from a play calling standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, fixing the things that were issues. Stefanski was one of the, the coaches that by our numbers was doing a really good job in terms of elevating the talent around him, scheming uh, more production than the sum of the parts on offense suggested should be attainable. So in theory, Stefanski makes a lot of sense from that point of view. And, you know, a lot of people have sort of raved about his ability to uh, harness, you know, personalities within a, a room, which is what he's going to need to do with Baker, Odell Beckham, Jarvis. Still Landry. a lot of talent on this team. Well, there's a lot of talent, but there's also a lot of volatile and, um, you know, strong, I guess, personalities that all need to be somehow pulled into line and work in the same direction. Like one of the biggest problems is all these guys are just sounding off, getting progressively more irate and working in different directions all last season. Kitchens wasn't able to pull it all together. Stefanski sounds at least on the surface that he has a better shot at doing that. And then the actual tackle position, Greg Robinson had a career high 66.9 grade, <laughs> which was in the bottom half of qualifying left tackles. And Chris Hubbard was 36 out of 38 qualifying right tackles. So the thing about the tackle position is before they even stopped blocking guys well, Baker was bailing from clean pockets. He knew what was protecting him, and he was playing like that. We didn't know that he was going to react completely the way he did. He was much more, uh, much less uh, Baker, much less disciplined, staying in the pocket, working through progressions this year, and the tackle position wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, the tackles are not good, but I think they can be made to look immeasurably better if Baker with Baker. Like if Baker actually starts to cop on and, you know, play control yeah. within a pocket, well, get the ball out quicker. In theory, like, in this system too, it protects the tackles pretty well because they're yes. always, they're, they're moving, they're moving the line left and right, right? It's boot left, boot right. It's all the different variations off of that. And even in pure drop back situations, these offenses, despite Kirk Cousins holding onto the ball, they usually do a pretty good job of getting the ball out of yeah. the quarterback's hand. So, I mean, hand. I think tackle is definitely a position they should upgrade, but in theory, Stefanski coming in should already upgrade it, as should any knock-on effect he has on Baker in terms of getting him to play better within the structure of an offense and not immediately running the hell away from the pocket into nowhere. Yeah. Like, if they can get both those things to, to work, the tackle position is already in a better spot, and then if you can upgrade the, the actual talent personnel, now you're in business. Because, yeah, Greg Robinson, as much as he was a high draft pick, his ceiling is like, eh. Yeah, I completely agree. And then rounding out the AFC North, hmm. the Cincinnati Bengals. Hometown. I like the way we worded this. Yeah. Not just a quarterback. A quarterback who can deliver their first playoff win in 30 years. Poor Andy. That's what they need. Yeah. Andy could just get them on the green for some 100-foot putts. 100-foot putts. That's, that's all he could do. But Joe Burrow is the guy that can at least deliver a playoff win and maybe more. Right. I mean, the, ba- so the Bengals, they have almost the opposite problem of the Ravens, right? The Ravens have, they're in a great spot because the roster is so good that they don't really have that many holes and you're just looking for like depth, right? And young guys to improve the succession plan. The Bengals are at the other end of the spectrum where they could use an upgrade basically everywhere and therefore you can't do the wrong thing either. So for two different reasons. Well, you can at the 
with the number one overall pick, you could do the wrong. Well, thing. you can do the wrong thing in ter- you can do the wrong thing in terms of not maximizing the value, but in terms of like you could literally pick any position and upgrade the roster. That's what yeah. I mean. So the Ravens have, for completely different reasons, neither of these teams can essentially screw it up because the Ravens, because they don't really need help anywhere, and the Bengals, because they need help everywhere, consequently just pick the best players. Do you think that there are people out there who still believe, hey, let's get Chase Young, game changer, yeah. Chase Young? Yes. You know, so um, Eric's working on a college to pro projection system, right? Which we, we, we have elements of it, but he's, you know, honing in and... You know, making sure all the data is looking good and all that stuff. And even when, even the great seasons that Chase Young has, even his projections are like, you know, you've got Miles Garrett or Cameron Jordan or Danell Hunter and all these guys who are really good and all that stuff, but they can't carry a team. Hmm. They're completely dependent on what the quarterback does. And even if Joe, like, you have to take the chance at the quarterback position to upgrade. Like, this isn't even a question well, that's, that they so, have to take a quarterback. That's the thing, right? It's. It would be a it would be a more interesting discussion. So Quentin Nelson is the, the sort of poster boy for this, right? It's like there was there's been no prospect in I don't know how many years that there was a greater consensus on not just him being good, but him being great at the NFL level than Quentin Nelson, right? His problem is he was a guard. So it's like, well, how valuable is that? Now, the certainty that this guy will be good and really good is worth something versus another oh, position. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Versus another position where you know the chances are way more hit and miss, right? Well, I don't know what the percentage, the strike rate in, in in terms of projecting a player to be great at quarterback or running back or cornerback or edge rusher or whatever, but it's high, it's a lot it's a lot lower certainty than it was in Quentin Nelson, right? So the difference between those two levels of certainty is worth something. But the fa- it's probably offset by the fact that he plays guard, and even if he's great, it just doesn't make that much of an impact. Now, that discussion becomes more interesting when you change the positions, and you say, okay, if let's say he's not a guard, now he's an edge rusher. Now, if you have the same degree of certainty that Chase Young is going to be a great edge rusher, the conversation becomes more interesting, but then you change the other position to quarterback, and now it doesn't matter because quarterback is the only thing that matters in today's NFL. If you have a great one, you can have a pretty bad roster and still be successful. And if you don't have one at all, nothing else matters. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is, like if Joe Burrow is mediocre, the Bengals are going to win four or five games. If Chase Young is a is Lawrence Taylor, the Bengals are still going to probably win four or five games because they're not going to have a a quarterback. That's the thing. Is you have to you have to draft the quarterback with at least the hope, playing the odds, that he's going to be the you know a guy that's going to lead to multiple wins above replacement than say like uh, an edge defender. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's it, it has you have to go with the quarterback this entire draft season. Though the more we study this and everything, I do struggle with the idea not so much the quarterback position, the idea of certainty versus upside. Mm-hmm. I got my draft good players T-shirt in the PFF shop. Draft good players, but I don't know if I believe it anymore. Well, the other thing is, how do you quantify that certainty, right? Because every year, there's people out there that are certain X is going to be a superstar, and they're wrong, because you can't be. So for us, it's more trusting the data and just saying, okay, right. there are certain positions where you can predict it more. Edge defender is one of them. Interior defensive line is another one. doesn't mean you can never miss. But it also doesn't... It also... It's... It, I think in order for that to be a, a legitimate... Um, 
boosting argument, the certainty needs to be not just that they're going to be decent. They have to be like stars. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Like you need to be certain that this guy is not just going to be a solid player, but he is going to be one of the top few players in his position in the NFL. Right. So even even our data, like it's been able to predict smooth translations pretty well, but you can't necessarily predict like this is the next Von Miller. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, there's always anytime there's a projection, it's kind of like win projections every year, right? Like even like the peak Patriots aren't being predicted to win 13 games every year. It's like 10, 10 and a half. And most teams are projected to, you know, be between 6 and 10, right? Knowing that there's going to be some teams that get to 13 or 14 and some teams are going to win two. But projections, you know, venture toward the middle in general. So that's how things are. Is there a case? Stick with the Bengals for one more second. Is there a case to be made that they should sit there? They could sit there and evaluate Trevor Lawrence right now mm-hmm. against Joe Burrow. They just played each other in the national championship. Do, is it smart to evaluate that knowing you might not have the opportunity to draft Trevor Lawrence? And do you really want to have the first overall pick two years in a row? But could you actually put on the table Chase Young plus Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Joe Burrow? And whatever you get, I just next year you can. I There's so much uncertainty there, right? You can't bank on it unless you institutionally all agree that you're going to tank the next season. Which, like the Dolphins tried to do that this year in terms of tanking, and then Brian Flores went Zach out there and won five games or whatever it was. Zach Taylor wouldn't last. Like, That's what whole, I'm saying. It, like you, you, you would have to. The entire organization, top to bottom, would have to commit to a year of stinking deliberately in order to make that happen. And I no, they're not going to do it. Like there's too many people who don't benefit from that to to commit to that, right? Somebody, like you're going to go out there and somebody, whether it's Andy Dalton for another year, Andy Dalton's going to go out there, have the game of his life, win, and oh, cost Andy, them. Andy Dalton's too good for a tanking team. Well, whatever. Whoever is the quarterback, whether it's him, whether it's like their version of Fitzpatrick, somebody's going to go out there with no investment in this losing strategy, right. have the game of their life, win a game, and cost them that number one overall pick. And now you've got to make moves happen to even get to it to make that happen again. It's, it's just never going to happen that way. All right, moving on to the AFC East. New England Patriots, offensive weapons who can separate. Yeah. I mean, it is obviously quarterback and figuring out what the quarterback situation is, if it's Tom Brady or if it's the next quarterback, whoever mm-hmm. it is. Um, but some sort of weapons around the signal caller. Yeah, I mean, the biggest need is quarterback whether it's retaining the one they have or figuring out who the hell you're going to replace them with um assuming you have that sorted then you need to fix all the reasons they weren't that great this year even with that quarterback which the primary one i think is the fact that they didn't have any receivers um i think just not having a reliable tight end and i don't know that an austin hooper in free agency or an eric ebron in free agency is the answer but you know brady's worked the middle of the field extremely well his whole career He's always had a half-decent tight end from Daniel Graham to Ben Watson to Gronk. Plus Aaron Hernandez in there, plus Martellus Bennett in there, plus all these other options. Mm-hmm. And this year was like the worst tight end situation in the NFL by far. Yeah. If he at least had a decent tight end, then you can hide Nikhil Harry a little bit. You can hide Muhammad Sanu a little bit. They still need an upgrade, like a legitimate upgrade at tight end, a legitimate upgrade at wide receiver. That pushes Sanu and Harry down the depth chart a little bit. Where there's a little bit less pressure on them, less pressure on Edelman as he gets old, 34 ish, right? Um, I mean, they need this is not a like a one stop fix. I I think their problem is for years, 
this whole thing was kind of a house of cards and that it was built on these like two guys that were really good. So it was Gronk and Edelman. And as long as you had both those guys up and functioning, you could get by with a bunch of bit parts everywhere else because you couldn't take away both of them. You know, if you were going to go out there and stop Gronk, all right, Edelman will make some plays. He'll have 15 catches. He'll be the guy. But, but even then, they they won in 16 without Gronk, and they won. Right. Brady was MVP in 17 without Edelman. And they were notably worse every time one of those two guys wasn't on the field. Um, but Brady was good enough to overcome that for most of that time. Now, Brady's reached the point where he's not, and they've lost one of those guys. So it's just one person. Right. And now teams just go out there and go, okay, we're going to take away Edelman and See what you do. Right. And they don't have anything. It wasn't else. great. They're, they're not able, he, nobody else is able to win, and Brady isn't able to will them to victory in that scenario anymore. So you need now they and every every sort of swing they've taken at another bit part player crapped out. Whether it was Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown, this uh, Nikhil Harry in the first round, like they've they realized that this was coming. They took a few swings at fixing it, and they all fell to pieces. So the whole house of cards came down last year. And now you have to rebuild it pretty quickly in one offseason, right. which is not an easy task, particularly with Edelman getting older. Like, if he, if he hits a wall, now well, they're in real, real problems. They're in real trouble. I mean, part of the issue, too, is they, they tried with Antonio Brown and with Josh Gordon, but those were inherently You're risky, risky right. moves. Right? They tried. They put effort forth. They realized that there was an issue. Yeah. They realized that Nikhil Harry needs to be pushed down the depth chart, Philip Dorsett, because those guys are good. Co- if, you, if you had someone else... And Philip Dorsett was just that deep threat you had to worry about. If you had a non-crazy Antonio Brown, you would be okay. Yeah, they'd be okay. But if like Philip Dorsett could be a decent, you know, deep threat, deep out guy for fifteen to twenty snaps, and Nikhil Harry could be a nice gimmick player. Not not what you want to draft in the first round, but for now he's a gimmick player that you know could create after the catch and all that stuff. Then it's not bad, but it's when you have to rely on them. The good a lot. news for them is that this might be the best receiver draft class to come along in decades. Are they? So this is kind of like Bill O'Brien. They hate drafting receivers. They do. And this is kind of like Bill O'Brien in the game against the Chiefs where they didn't go for the fourth down early on. Maybe they should have. And then all of a sudden they just like right, fake punt. Yeah. So are the Patriots going to be a little gun shy going for another receiver early in the draft? If they are, they're Because it's like, hey, There's we just no did it. Way. I mean, yeah. how do you fix this? If you, The alternative is you go hard in free agency for Amari Cooper. Well, it's been... Belichick has added big weapons to the offense a few times throughout the regime, right? Yeah. 07, you go get Randy Moss and Wes Welker. Both mm-hmm. were trades. Both low low cost. Low cost trades. 2010, they draft Gronk and Hernandez. Now, maybe they weren't necessarily... Both low cost. They didn't... Fourth. Second and fourth. And they didn't know that they were getting a future Hall of right. Famer and, you know, Hernandez. But um, they knew that they addressed it, mm-hmm. right? Now, they have given up a first-rounder for Brandon Cooks mm-hmm. a couple years ago. They are so much more likely to get the veteran, right? So they might try to flip a first-rounder. They don't have a second-rounder, but maybe they do try right. to flip a first-rounder for a receiver and then you know take a shot in an, on an A.J. Green or an Amari Stephon Cooper. Stephon Diggs? Stephon Diggs was making be. irritating, like, cryptic noises about, yeah, maybe I'm going. And he seems like, well, that's the other weird thing about bringing in a Nikhil Harry is you would expect them to get a receiver like a Diggs a little bit smaller, good route runner type instead of a big contested catch guy like Nikhil Harry. So it'll be interesting to see which way they go there. But either way. Yeah, I mean, it, so it's a good offseason in terms of if this is your need, you can make it happen. But you need to go at it aggressively. Like 
you probably need to try like they need a they need more than one because we've seen what happens when they try and fix this one move if that one move goes bad the whole thing's dead right so a they need to swing multiple times at this b it's the best draft class for receivers to come along in years c they are prepared to trade dra- or trade draft capital to make a move like that happen so you're not just looking at okay if it was free agency alone we're talking like Amari Cooper AJ Green, if we're prepared to go that old, and then not that much else. Right? It's not good that yeah. they gave up a second rounder for Sanu, and he was that Correct. disappointing. That's a problem, um, but because that second rounder right now could get like a right. Rager from TCU yeah, yeah. or you're, whatever. You're not just limited to those free agent groups. You can right. actually start thinking, okay, how much would it take to get Stephon Diggs out of Minnesota? They like wanted that. Odell Beckham a couple of years ago. Right. They were in the sweepstakes, so see if they go back to that. Well, uh, the Buffalo Bills, we put. We put down a wide receiver that compliments John Brown and Cole Beasley. Nah. I think that I, so I think there's a case to be made for that. So your rule about let's not focus on this receiver's contested catchability and all that stuff. Would you break it if you knew you already have a John Brown and a Cole Beasley? Nope. You have a deep threat. You have a slot receiver in Cole Beasley. Mm-hmm. Would a guy like a T. Higgins with this incredible catch radius nope. coming out of Clemson be a really nice fit for the Bills in the first round? I mean, it might be a nice fit, but it would have nothing to do with the fact that he's contested catch guy. I don't know. That. You'd rather the you thir- three guys that could open rather than yeah. the different skill sets. It's not sets. a reason to break your. It's not a reason to break that as a philosophy. The reason that's a philosophy is because the guys that you lead with as contested catch only are fundamentally worse receivers than guys that just get open. So the Bills caught just forty percent of their contested catch opportunities, twenty eighth in the NFL. Do you think? Do you think to get Josh Allen to become a better deep ball thrower, though? It is more about just give give him this big body to throw no. the ball in the vicinity of. No, because that's the whole point. Look this at is the how, Cam Newton discussion. How many of his deep misses were the ball was just f- fired in there a million miles an hour and didn't land within ten yards of his intended receiver? Like the, if you make that guy six five and running three tenths of a second slower and now draped over by a cornerback, the ball is still missing him by seven yards. Like you didn't make that. Like you didn't go from incomplete miss to completion because the guy is bigger you've just missed a bigger target i'm not even a bigger target make catches on inaccurate passes you've missed a larger human but these are not that type of miss is not what josh allen is missing right now josh allen is not putting the ball within the same zip code as the intended receiver the problem is not like the amount of passes where john brown was way past the rest of the the uh defense I didn't even have there was no adjustment opportunity like he had all the opportunity in the world to adjust to that pass because he's five yards open where the pass is not even close enough to him to make that happen. Like he, that's the, my whole point with this whole separation thing is it actually gives you a bigger catch radius than catch radius guys. Yeah, because all they can do is adjust to like their essentially their wingspan. Whereas, yeah, if you're running behind the defense, it can be underthrown. Right. You can when you have separation, turn on the jets for an you overthrow. Can yeah. Move. You can actually adjust beyond your own f- the frame of your body and make a catch in a much bigger just window. get guys that get open. Where would you go for biggest need then for the Bills? Uh, I think the Bills still need some. Well, a Jerry Hughes is getting on at this point. Yeah. And even if he wasn't, they have the same problem as the Steelers in terms of needing a second guy that can get legitimate pressure. So I would look at edge rusher in particular. Um, I think they've made some steps on their offensive line. I think you can never have too many good offensive linemen. And this, again, 
appears to be a reasonable draft class for that. So I would take a few more swings at the O-line as well. I think the Bills have done a really nice job, obviously, defensively, right? They've yeah. had a good defense for three straight years, and they, they still don't have a ton of stars on the defense. Tredavious White is awesome. Didn't make the PFF 101, but he is awesome. And Ed Oliver's got some potential. Still, Jerry Hughes has been good. Tremaine Edmonds is overrated by tackle numbers. But they've got some some athleticism and some talent on that side of the ball. I think a mistake that teams make, though, is feeling good. Like they've got three straight years of feeling good about the defensive side of the ball. If they stray and just say, okay, well, we just have to build offense. Our defense is fine. That'd be the mistake. That'd be like the Vikings a couple years ago. Not that they didn't address it, where the Vikings had this good defense, but they didn't really have the depth or the next guy or the replacement plan. You have to build both sides of the ball equally. I would not forget about Buffalo's defense, even though the offense has been the clear weakness the last few years. Well, also, our point has always been that, look, PFF, the the way you're reading our interpretation of the data is not right. right? A lot of Bills fans are like, PFF hates the Bills. We don't grade any of their players well. It's like, yeah, but in order for you to get this level of production without us grading that many of your players well, it means that the coaching is doing a phenomenal job, McD- right? Dermot's been fantastic. Yes. Now, and then, Frazier, they've been great. So the next question is, well, why didn't he win coach of the year? Because one guy wins coach of the year. Like, and that was John Harbaugh this year. Right. He can be second. You know, he's right up there. Or it's more like the three-year body of work right. that but McDermott's anyway, but put out there has been like top 10 worthy. He's of, right up coaches. there. We don't need to give him coach of the year in order for us to think he's doing a really good job. But anyway, the point is, if he's the guy that's generating this level of production with that level of talent, think what would happen if you moved the talent up. Like if you got better still, be better. Yeah. it could be even better. That's the whole point. Don't like don't look at this as ah, PFF hates of all, all of our players. Use this as a way of understanding that, hey... If McDermott is doing this level of job with that level of talent, what happens if we improve the level of talent? I don't know who you're talking to right now anyway. All the people that are hashtag Bills Mafia the in your mentions, they're not, they're not listening to the podcast. I don't know they're anymore. Just hashtag Bills Mafia. I think I've muted everybody from Buffalo <laughs> at this point. All right, moving on to the Jets. We went with offensive line help, but this is everything. This is everything. This is the entire roster. I think cornerback has been... A disaster there for a few years. Edge defender has been a 15-year issue. Mm-hmm. Like Jonathan Ab- uh, John Abraham. Don't worry, John, uh, Jamal Adams fixed that last year. That's true. Jamal Adams came in. And Jamal became, Adams might legitimately be their best edge rusher as a safety. Just like Derwin in the Chargers. No, but the, um, the defense at key positions, cornerback, edge defender, then you need wide receivers too. I mean, we're sitting here a year ago, and we, there was three first-round quarterbacks. Josh Allen. Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. And they may have had the three worst offensive situations in the NFL. Those three guys, right? Josh Allen and the Bills. The Bills did a really nice job bringing in John Brown and Cole Beasley, even though we're say- I'm saying, give me one more piece to that puzzle for Josh Allen, and that could work really well. Josh Rosen didn't even get another shot, and he went to maybe a worse situation in Miami. Mm-hmm. And then Sam Darnold didn't really get a whole bunch of upgrades on the offensive side of the ball. And I think I might even go receiver help over the O-line help. If you can get guys, I keep coming back to, if you can get guys that can get open quickly, you could protect the O-line. I'm not saying you don't want that disaster. You still want to creep back toward average on the O-line. But the Jets are another team I would consider the double up at receiver at some point in this draft. I mean, just getting playmakers for Darnold or he's got no shot. Yeah, this is another one of these very ugly rosters that needs a lot of help pretty much everywhere. Um, their cornerback situation is a mess. You, 
edge rushers. They've never been able to find one for years. Wide receiver Robbie Anderson is hitting free agency, so they need to either get him back or replace him with something. And then add, right. like they had one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL with Robbie Anderson. Now he's leaving, potentially. Right. So you need to replace what he's leaving and fix the fact that nobody outside of him was able to do anything either. So, yeah, they need a ton of wide receivers. Again, good draft class for that to be your need, but, wow, they need to like really make some plays. And, and then I think if they're smart, I love Jamal Adams on the back end, but if they're smart, can they build their defense from back to forward? Can Much like the Ravens did, you know, who cares that they don't – not who cares, but you can do without – massive game changers in the front seven if you can cover well on the back end they also there's there's repeated stories that keep coming out about them wanting to trade jamal adams why that's insane i don't know the other thing they should do by the way is take a low round swing at a quarterback because Mm. sam Darnold might not actually be good oh boy we don't know if he is or not but i'm just saying you know while we're still undecided let's let's have a little insurance policy back here just in case yeah i'm all for for that, as we know, as we talk about teams that need quarterbacks, all the quarterbacks that are heading into year three, you know, still, they're still, Lamar's good, yeah. but the rest are coming with question marks, mm-hmm. right? And what they're going to be going forward. Miami Dolphins, I think it's pretty clear. It's got to start with quarterback and then everything else. I like the way it was phrased. In I do like that too. A reason not to put Ryan Fitzpatrick back on the field, as fun as that may be. Yeah. I mean, it's harsh, but fair, I guess. Yeah. Like, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is your answer, you're probably in trouble. Or. No. No or. I'm always looking for the modern-day Rich Gannon. I'm always looking for that veteran where, like, the light goes on and he becomes a viable player. I, how old was was Rich Gannon? He's in his, his 30s. How far into his 30s? 34, 35 before yeah. he became an MVP candidate? I mean, Fitz is 37. I mean, he might be a little old, but Fitz is coming off his two best seasons. 37 is the new 32 in the NFL <laughs> at quarterback. We know that. Brady's going to play till he's 48. Rivers is 38. Yeah. Big Ben's 38. And all those guys kind of suck now. Fitz is peaking, though. Okay. All those guys took all those hits earlier in their career. Fitz was sitting on the bench, saving himself, you know, throwing picks instead of taking sacks. Fitz had this mapped out to play well into his 40s. He's coming off his best two seasons. Okay, maybe not, but... I Wait, Gannon might have been older than I thought he was back in that season. Yeah, see? 65 is his birthday. He's 65? No, no, 65. Oh. December 20th, 1965. So, so he was 35 in 2000. And he took him this... Right, but 02 was the... Was his MVP? Yeah. Right? Well, right around 2000 is when they. I think he started to become good. Yeah. So 35, and then was MVP caliber in, in 02, which was go. 37. Hmm. See. Okay. Now Gannon was a slightly different player than Fitz. Here's what Fitz has showed the last two years: craziness. He had a great supporting cast in Tampa Bay as far as guys who could go get the ball, and he. We've had multiple years: 2015 with the Jets. Where they had Brandon Marshall and uh, Decker. Was it him and Decker? Eric Decker. I think. And they were, and he would just YOLO ball to them and they were making plays. And yeah. he had put up big numbers. 2018 with the Bucks, He's throwing the ball up to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson. They're all making plays for him. OJ Howard. Now last year, all he had was Devontae Parker. And he extracted a career year out of Parker. Parker's getting paid. Owes Fitz a whole bunch of money for YOLOing up to him. 
he's he's elevated some guys. Yes, he's extracted production out of you know yeah either so, some good supporting cast and then last year not so good for supporting cast. The problem with that is that it's not necessarily an overall successful way of playing. Like you can definitely make receivers look very good because you're going to give them a ton of opportunities to make plays, and ultimately receivers are a little bit like running backs in terms of. They're all kind of good at this level, right? And a lot of them are just, they just need the ball to be in the air for yeah. them to go make some plays. Um, now, the, what separates, you know, Julio Jones from somebody who's just another guy is the percentage that they make of those plays when you throw the ball vaguely near them. Um, but all receivers, if you give them enough opportunities, are going to make a bunch of those plays and consequently, like, end the year with some really healthy looking numbers. But in order for that to have happened, you had to throw the ball in the air a lot in ill-advised situations or in ill-advised places, yeah. and the overall like efficiency of that is not necessarily good. So Fitzpatrick might make a lot of wide receivers look great, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like it's healthy for the offense. No, I, I understand. So either way, Dolphins are going to be looking for a quarterback. Yeah. That's a big thing. And then thing. a whole bunch of offensive line to put around him because they have one of the worst units that's ever seen the field. O-line needs to get back toward average. They need playmakers to throw to. They need corners. Yeah, everything else. I mean, they're bad. Pass rushers. Linebackers who can cover. The whole thing in Miami. But the offseason will be built around, do they make a move for Tua? Do they try a Justin Herbert? Do they Wait. Do they take all this draft capital and continue to flip it forward and get into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes for next year? Well, I mean, we've already seen they're question. bad at tanking. I know. But, you know, they're competing with maybe the Panthers might be in full tank mode. The Bengals could still be bad again. Some surprise team could sneak in there and take the Patriots could just let Brady walk and roll Jarrett Stidham out there and tank to go get Lawrence. That's possible. I just I, I don't think you can realistically look at that i don't think you can look at like next year next year's the year but like whatever about i think you can do it in terms of next year is a really strong draft class for this position yeah so we don't have to go hard at that this year i don't think you can look at it and say next year's number one overall pick is going to be incredible therefore that's what we target it's it's so here's the thing for two reasons right one because i just don't think you can like functionally institutionally tank in that regard for the whole season right and two because I honestly don't think people are that good at projecting the number one overall pick a year out. Like, there's so many times... Well, nobody knew Burrow a year ago. Exactly. And there's so many times where a guy was, like, the presumptive number one overall pick before people actually really dove into, like, analyzing him. And then in nine yeah. months' time... So the narrative is always, oh, if he'd come out a year ago, he'd have been the number one overall pick. It's like, no, he wouldn't. We'd have just evaluated him then and realized all the problems. Or if he was... And he, he still would have slipped. Or if he was, you would have been really wrong. Like, Matt Barkley had a year where everybody expected him to be the but number one But that's happened, pick. like, every year where it was like, oh, if this guy came out last well, year, number Andrew one Andrew Luck pick. was a number one pick from his freshman year. Sure. Jameis Winston was the number one pick from his freshman year. Those two stood. The um, Right, but the point is... Miles Garrett out, was number one pick start to finish. A year out, most people haven't actually evaluated the person, and therefore you're flying kind of blind. Nick Bosa, people knew, was the number one pick. I mean, what you- in the mix, but quarterback's a little bit different. Either way, it it is interesting if the Dolphins, because it's not just Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields is out there as well from Ohio State. The Dolphins might be weighing. We could have Tua with an injury concern. 
We can have Justin Herbert, who we don't love. We could have someone else in the second round. They've got all this draft capital. They could do like the second round, maybe take a shot, and then just kind of see where the cards land next year with all their draft capital. Trevor Lawrence on the board, Justin Fields, whoever else emerges as a top quarterback candidate and say, look, we're in this for the long haul. The way to do it would be, you know, that idea that you can flip a second round pick this year for a first round next year. Yeah. Like and they've they got three firsts already. Yeah. So that way like they should just stockpile. They should trade back a couple of times, stockpile second rounders this year and then flip them all for next year's first. Try to get five first right. rounders. Just get half the first round next year and go, right, whatever happens, we are in position to get whoever the hell we want. At any time in the first round. If teams could truly... There's there's a difference between tanking and being able to see the long term. And if you can truly draft for medium to long term and not just for next year, then I think if the Dolphins have that leeway in the front office and with the coaching staff and all, if they're confident enough that this is about a year three, four, and five, not year two then they might not have to force a quarterback at five overall or trade up or anything like that. They might not have to force it this year. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that if they've got that type of confidence and they can go long-term. We'll see. Because that's what kills franchises is that impatience sometimes. Yeah, I agree. But I also like taking shots at the quarterback position anyway. So, um, Houston Texans in the AFC South, cornerback. Anybody that can cover in the back end. Cornerbacks that can cover. Linebackers who, who can cover. Deshaun Watson can only cover so many warts in the defensive pass game you know you can't just continue to win shootouts every single week and I think that was that was the reason why I never really believed in Houston this year is they were so reliant on the quarterback and the pass game to overcome what they had in the back end and they would every four weeks they'd have a decent game with their safeties and corners but it just wasn't consistent enough yeah, basically the entire secondary needs some significant work. The fact that Jonathan Joseph is still like playing for them is a problem. And, and they got to get creative without top first round picks. Yeah. They're going to have to... The, the margin for error in Houston, and then when we talk about the Rams, when you don't have first round picks, the margin for error is just tighter. So you have to get creative either with trades, free agency, or hitting on second, third, fourth rounders. They could also use to... They could also... Um, do with finding a backup plan to Will Fuller because apparently like Will Fuller appears to be like institution or like fundamental to the functioning of that offense and when he's not on the field everything changes in a dramatic fashion but Will Fuller has a fairly extensive and long injury history and like if you if that if he is that important you need to find a way of replicating what it is he does without him being on the field so again great draft class let's find ourselves a blazing speedster that we think can do what Will Fuller does, or at least replicate it when he's not on the field. Henry Ruggs? I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to get that high to get him, Probably right? Not. But there are other speedsters in this draft that we yeah. can maybe target. Um, like I say, I'm, I was asking you the other day, I don't understand why Kenny Stills can't replicate what Will Fuller does, given that Kenny Stills, that was basically his one trick throughout his career. Lost before a step got a little there. bit, maybe. Right. But. But either way, somebody needs to because every time that guy goes off the field, the entire offense changes in a way yeah. that cripples it. I have to say, the Texans have done a great job of using Will Fuller. When you have a speed guy, I think a lot of people just envision, hey, he'll just run go routes. But they use him on the deep crossers. They use him on double moves down the field. They do find a way to get him behind the defense on the regular. And when they do that and you have New Hopkins on the other side and then some reasonable playmakers surrounding that then you you've got a really good pass game and it shows like i said that shows up every few weeks where it's like man this team is really tough to stop when you have all those guys Mm -hmm. out on the field tennessee titans 
got to figure out the quarterback position first. Do you bring back Ryan Tannehill? I mean, the more I look into that, draft somebody. It's really risky. Draft some. Well, so I, I, again, I franchise him. You have to. I would franchise him before I lock him up. I don't. I can't see anything to do other than franchise tag the guy. Like the tag was made for this kind of situation, which is he was absolutely ridiculous this year in a way that a was so good. There's no way we can possibly let him walk out after that. And B was so completely unsustainable. There's no way you can bank on it long term. So you're basically in a situation where you have to play him again next year, knowing that there's almost no way it can go well, or at least not as well as it went this year. So franchise tag him, get yourself, get or lock him down for one year, knowing that you punt him out of the building this time next year when it all goes south. So franchise tag him and draft a quarterback who you think will actually be the succession plan long term, because there's no way this goes well long term. Let's deconstruct the Tannehill season really quick, because last week I wrote about this the biggest quarterback outlier seasons of the decade. Mm-hmm. And I sorted this in two different ways. I called the first outlier based off of grade. So how well you played. And then the second was more production based. So based off grade, which guys had this one incredible season, which just didn't match the rest of their career. So the five biggest ones was Eli Manning in 2011. Best season of his career. Right. By far. Robert Griffin, the third. Only RG3's in 2012. Cam Newton and Carson Palmer in 2015. Mm-hmm. Cam wins MVP. Carson Palmer's right up there with him. And then Tannehill last year. Now, the PFF data is really good at telling the story here. Because when you go back and you're like, all the work that we've done has said, there's a few things that are stable that you can that you bank on. It's clean pocket stuff. What you do in the bigger sample sizes, but also you own your negatively graded throws a little bit more. So that, that means the other side of the stuff, under pressure and positively graded throws, can fluctuate. So you could point to all five of these seasons being extreme outliers for these guys in either the percentage of positives or their play under pressure. And it makes intuitive football sense. The positively graded throws are dependent a little on supporting cast, right? Mm-hmm. So they tend to fluctuate. So when you surround these guys with great talent, and when you go back, Eli was throwing to Victor Cruz, Hakeem Nix. They had good production for their from their running backs and tight ends. They just had this really good group. RG3, it was the play-action game. That's really unsustainable. He averaged six more yards per attempt on play-actions than he did standard dropbacks. Unsustainable right there. Great play caller with the Shanahans. Cam Newton, this was the year where they finally had some guys who can get open, not the big slugs that they were just hoping to you know, catch a few Cam overthrows. He led the league in positively graded throws. Carson Palmer, we ranked their, remember their receiving core that year? Yeah. We ranked them number one. With Lyra Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, um, who else was there? J.J. Nelson was sneaking behind the defense every now and again. Jermaine Gresham was decent. I'm missing somebody. Who else was out? Um, but either way, they they had they were rolling like four deep. John Brown was there too. Um, and those guys were getting open everywhere. And then last year with Tannehill, you had A.J. Brown, uh, his emergence, Corey Davis. You just like the trickle down of A.J. Brown becoming a number one and everybody else becoming... Um, you know, more role player type. That that's what really helped with Tannehill. He was number one in positively graded throws. He had never been higher than fifth, and he'd only been in the top ten in positively graded throws that one time. So that's a, a big outlier. With the, the exception of RG three, all of the others had an extensive amount of data behind them saying that this was a monster, you know, outlier slash anomalous season. Right? Mm-hmm. 
you would have been, it would have been very foolish to, off the back of that year, do anything crazy in terms of locking these guys down to monster contracts because it's just not going to happen again. So this is your Tannehill situation, right? It's he's he's had a season that compares to all those, and actually in, in like grading terms, was it better than all of those? Right? He was. Uh, yeah, I right. think it was. So and, and Palmer's weird too because he he had this huge drop off the end of the year. He had the thumb injury and all that stuff, but Palmer was up right. there incomparable. So essentially, Tannehill is graded as well, if not better than all of those seasons. Probably has a worse baseline than most of those players in terms of the rest of his career. Um, certainly when you consider like the last season or two in Miami. So like you can't bank on it long term. It's just not going to repeat. But equally, there's no way. I mean, I'm I'm all for the idea that, you know, when the numbers tell you to do things, tend, you know, lean in that direction, less humanly possible. But it would be an amazing decision to come off the back of that year and say, bye bye. We don't think you're going to do it again. So so yeah. So do you do you think the numbers would be pointing toward Tannehill being a guy you have to give another shot, or are you confident enough that this is a true outlier that does not match? I would suggest that that I would suggest all the numbers say that this is such an outlier that he is going to go at the very best. He would go back to early year, early career Tannehill as a baseline, and then that is what you're deciding is if it's worth paying big time starter money to. And honestly, the data would probably say it's not. Now, the alternative to that is you don't have Tannehill and you're in a mess because yes. you don't have anything. So but you, you have really... to go looking for a quarterback yeah. at that point. But I so would say that hedge. Well, yes. So I would say that the data probably says franchise and hedge. I, yeah. Well, the data probably says that given those two choices of lock him up long term to a monster contract or right. let him walk out the door knowing that he's not going to repeat that. The data would say let him walk. Right. Right. So the halfway house is I can't let him walk because he just. He was that good. We dragged us from two and four to the playoffs, knocking off two of the better teams along the way in the postseason. Like, let's, you know, all right. And this, so this is also, we've also, we've talked about the 2017 Jaguars with Bortles and the 2018 Bears with Trubisky. They both came off years where they either won the division or with the Jaguars case went to the AFC championship. This is a different decision from that because. Bortles was dragged to the AFC Championship. Trubisky, we feel, was dragged to Mm -hmm. that incredible season with the Bears. This was Tannehill as the catalyst, right, for the Titans. So this is different. This is us saying, man, I know what we just saw. He was incredible. He deserves every bit of credit for what the Titans did. Yeah, I just know it's not. However, I don't know if it can happen again. Someone else also asked me a good question last week about this. Does age? Does does any of that stuff come in? I think when you go back and look at these outliers, there's no rhyme or reason to it, right? Eli was in like year eight, and it was kind of just out of nowhere, and it's like he's playing incredible under pressure. RG3 was a rookie, Mm -hmm. so that had us rethinking, oh, should it have been RG3 over Andrew Luck? Look at this. Cam Newton was in year four, and that's the most dangerous one, right? Because everybody thinks you give a guy, uh, once he gets to like year four. That was Eli and Flacco the first time, right? It's Eli's first Super Bowl, Flacco's Super Bowl. They they figured it out. Oh, look at the run they've just gone on. This is it. It's it's happened. Flacco's a a good point too, right? So once you're in year four, people think, okay, that's the perfect time to just turn a corner in your career. It didn't happen for Cam. He's never duplicated it before. And Carson Palmer was like year 12, 13. I mean, he was, he was, no, he was like 10 years in, whatever, 12 years in. He was in an Aryan system that coached that season out of him right and rg3 is a weird case because one knee injury at the end of it so right. we never really saw the same guy again and two 
you know, it's been documented that he essentially rebelled against the system that helped him. Correct. Know? It's like, I don't like this idea of being this successful with all this movement and right. play action. I want to be a traditional Peyton Manning pocket passer, which he isn't. So right. the dude self-sabotaged in addition to having his knee yeah. fall out from under him. So, like, it would have been hard to replicate that even with all things being equal, and they weren't. I think it's a good discussion with the Tannehill thing. I like my conclusion. I'm franchise and hedge. Look yeah, for I mean, next so guy. The, the bottom line is you need a quarterback because Tannehill almost certainly isn't it, even if you franchise tag him, right? Which you should because Might I don't be. see another option. Pass rushing talent is the other thing that we looked at with the Tennessee Titans, but it pales in two in comparison to the quarterback. Yeah, Indianapolis Colts. Speaking of quarterbacks, Uh-oh. Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Someone to replace Jacoby. Do you know what his like, final season statistics were? Because he still looked stupidly healthy. Yeah. I mean, I think he was middle, like 92 passer rating, whatever it was. Good touchdown to interception ratio, but like a 60 passing grade. Yeah. So when we talk about unsustainable stuff, in that article, I wrote about production outliers too. Like the grade doesn't match the stats. 18 touchdowns, six picks. Yeah. The grades didn't match the stats for Brissett. And I think this, this is where you like, you look at the guys he was throwing to and you're like, on paper, they don't look great. And they didn't grade all that great. I think this is where it circles back to coaching again. Right. And thankfully, his passer rating came down over the year so that he only ended up like 20 something in passer rating. Whereas like earlier in the season, it was like 13 picks, three or 13 touchdowns, three picks and a passer rating like insane. I was like, wow, it's, it's, kind of hard to argue that he wasn't as good as that now at least the numbers came back down to earth a little bit and it's like okay he wasn't that good thank you we were saying that all the way along but at least now it's easier to argue i've always looked at Brissett since he had he had a really good preseason game in new england he went to indianapolis got forced into the starting lineup in 17 and then this past year in 19 i've always said look Brissett looks like one of those guys who's a top three backup yes or the case keenum bridge quarterback Right, the guy that you you could trust to go start a few games, can win a few games if you are transitioning from one quarterback to the next. I think that's what he is. I don't know that there's any more there with Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, I mean, I think this season was his opportunity to, to show he was something more than that. It was he already looks like one of the better backups in the NFL. Um, the circumstances under which he was starting last time were not ideal in terms of being thrust into it at no notice, you know, a new system, all this kind of stuff. This season was better. In terms of this, things are around you now in a way that they weren't before. You've had time in the system. You have better supporting cast. We've put one of the best rosters around you you're ever going to see. If you're not better this time, you're not better. So uh, at had the a same shot. time, though, he didn't know he was a starter until August. Right, but like th- that's less important than having been there, like in the building for a while. No, I agree. Like, you know, th- that the last time it was he got traded there, and then it was like right start. I'll also say, even though his stats were better than his grades, it's not like they did have the best supporting cast in the world. So the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause at writing off Brissett is that he's never had that beautiful supporting cast and all that stuff, despite getting elevated by our numbers this year or having some luck. Um, It's still not going to keep me from looking for the next guy. I mean, yeah, I think the big thing is that, you know, he had it was a much better situation this time than last time. And his grade wasn't any better. Like, if he had at least taken a step in the right direction, then he could say, okay, now if we get him a true number one or we had a couple of weapons here or there, maybe. But no, it was like the same guy. So I think Jacoby Brissett is what Jacoby Brissett is, which is not good enough to be your starting quarterback. 
So a lot of rumors that the Colts first round are looking at a Justin Herbert. They're looking at Jordan Love from Utah State. I do think it makes sense to um, to take a shot mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. Let's take a little break and talk about our friends over at Proper Cloth, Sam. You guys can get a shirt to propercloth.com slash PFF. I've decided to use mine as a as an accent under the uh, cashmere sweater. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's, that's wise look, right? because it is freaking freezing in here. That's all, that's the only reason why I'm doing it. But I think I think the proper cloth still works well with the uh, sweater look. It does it's nice? I am lamenting the fact that I didn't wear one of my heavier proper cloth shirts yeah. because this one's kind of light and it's freezing in here. I was rocking PFF. Um, I was rock, rocking proper cloth at the party. Oh yeah, the other night, a really nice one mm. to go with the, the suit and everything. But propercloth.com/pff, you get twenty dollars off if you use the promo code PFF twenty off your first shirt. PFF twenty, you get twenty dollars off. And as many of you have been doing, design the shirt, make it look all pretty like Sam's, and then fire over a picture, and uh, we'll see what the design looks like. Yeah, collar and cuff. Anything else to add to this? Or are you just gonna smile and nod? I was just smile and nod. You're doing a good job. I like. Thanks. It. Yeah, that's your. Uh, Seer sucker. Seer sucker shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, propercloth.com, the best fabric producers in the world. Each one of the shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best in quality and craftsmanship. Great customer service team. Man, they get these things quick. Yeah. Very quick when we put an order in. And so we love it. It's so easy to use. This is how men should shop. You put in some numbers, and that's it. Yeah, you just sit back, wait for your fancy box to arrive, and there's all your shirts. Right, and if it doesn't fit, you send it back until it fits perfectly. Uh-huh. So go check it out. Propercloth.com slash PFF today. PFF20. Get $20 off your first shirt. Let's round out the AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars. We went off-ball linebacker. It feels like they have other needs as well. Interior D-line, O-line, tight end. I think just overall playmakers for the Jags. I keep coming back to... Passingly, give me playmakers and guys that can stop the playmakers. Of course, you need a quarterback to get the ball. So that's too. what I was going to ask, right? Have they, have they got a quarterback? I don't know. The Jaguars quarterback situation is like a, it's a, it's mess. Like a podcast in itself. It's a disaster. It's an absolute train wreck having looked like it was in a really good spot a couple of months ago. This, they, could, they have a chance to be like the new Andy Dalton line. Like, I, I don't know. Is Gardner, is, have we seen peak Gardner Minshew? Uh-huh. So it's like the same question we just asked about guys that have peak years. It's intuitive. It, it, we we lean on well. He he did this as a rookie, therefore it's just going to get better. It's tough as a rookie. You're just going to get better every year. If that was truly the case, man, Gardner Minshew looks like future's bright. Sure, right? Or was he just awesome as a rookie? He's got some physical limitations on all that stuff, but you know the league's not ready for it, and you can hide him, and he you know has some anticipation and things to hide. Like, can he be the next Chad Pennington that overcomes some of the you know the poo arm and all that stuff? <laughs> poo arm. <laughs> can he be the guy? He was unbelievable throwing the ball down the field, touch and accuracy yeah. and all that stuff. And is he the guy, or is or do you still try to catch lightning in a bottle with five great games of Nick Foles? I mean, they just, with the decisions they made at quarterback, they now put themselves in a situation where I don't know that you can have faith with of faith in anybody in that quarterback room, one of whom you've got fairly significant money invested in, the other whom you've got almost nothing invested in. And I, I just, what the hell are you supposed to do heading into next year? What if 
you have an open competition between the sixth round rookie or sixth round second year guy on peanuts and the guy you pay giant money to, so he'd have the respect of any everybody. Would you add a Tua or a Herbert to the mix too? Just to just to really make it chaotic, like a, a royal rumble of QBs. The high draft pick, the low draft sixth rounder in his second year who showed quite a lot as a rookie, and the guy who's had one of the most improbable Super Bowl runs of all time, very little else in his career, but you paid monster money to so that everyone would respect him. That as a three-way batter match of quarterback competition would be madness. But the value of knowing, right? The value, because so say say you bring Tua into the mix, clearly he's an upgrade from Minshew and an upgrade from Foles. Then you could see if there's any value for Minshew on the market. Maybe Foles, what? you flip him to the Bears. What and if he like, isn't? Whoever. What if he's in the same kind of level? Now you've got three of these lunatics because with various different levels of investment. Because in. the alternative is you fill these other needs that were listed here. Off-ball linebacker, an interior D-line, an O-line, and tight end, and it doesn't move the needle. You can add Aaron Donald to the mix. You could add Quentin Nelson. You could add... Uh, Grok would maybe move the needle. But you could add you know another great player, and it doesn't move the needle as much as... The potential of Tua to be the guy over those other ones or whoever it might be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just think that this is already a crazy quarterback competition. Adding a third guy who is not necessarily a clear-cut answer would just be nuts. It would be the most chaotic quarterback situation I can remember. So among the other needs that we talked about, off-ball linebacker was horrible last year. Nobody graded above 46. Am I seeing this right? Yeah. Or one guy was a 68.1, Leon Jacobs. And all these guys played 200 or more snaps. They were all terrible. So linebacker, Miles Jack had a rough season, banged up and all that stuff. But um, And then O-line just hasn't been good for a few years. Even in 2017, when, you know, Leonard Fournette broke off a few big runs and you know felt like the run game was protecting them and all that stuff, that wasn't a good o-line or run game that was just the defense was really good that year and they played low scoring games don't worry though i'm sure once cam robinson gets healthy he'll he'll turn it right around he has been unhealthy since his freshman year of college so there's a lot in jacksonville let's go to the afc west i think there's still a whole group of cam robinson stands that think he's like a top five left tackle i mean you can find four or five blocks that make him look like that yeah every every game every year no no every game it's just that there's a whole bunch more that don't yeah and that kind of matters more. Yeah. See why we only did the AFC today? We're just getting to the AFC West. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Turns out we talked for a while. I told you. Kansas City Chiefs. What do they need? Nothing. They just won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl team never needs anything. They just... Oh, okay. So they need defense. Like, their defense didn't get good. It just got better than bad. Like, it, it was no longer the reason they were losing games. Everybody goes, they were seventh in points against. Uh, they weren't as good as any of those numbers. No. Show. They were decent. They crept back toward average. Yes. Depth at cornerback. And again, and it's, continuing it's to build that like, secondary. Makes sense, though. So a bit like the Sean McDermott conversation, right? It's like, it was a, the, the results were greater than the sum of the parts, right? Which means effectively coaching. So they... In transitioning from we play man coverage every single snap and that's how we lose to we are I don't care what it is we do let's figure out what the best thing to do to stop you is that makes a massive difference regardless of how everybody is playing so people can still play not that great and the results are better because you're making life more difficult for the offense who is now executing worse than they would be if you just played man coverage every snap so that makes me think of like a 
philosophy question, right? Is it better than in today's NFL where it's easier to predict offense than defense, right? Are you better off having a Spagnolo, a, a McDermott slash Leslie Frazier, guys that you really trust to get the most out of your defensive players? You know, they might never have the top defense in the league, but they're just going to get the most out of what what is what's back there. So you don't have to invest talent-wise in the defense as much, and you can go all in on the offensive side of the ball. But again, I think it's... It, like, if he's done this with this level of talent, what happens if you move the talent upwards? I think it only gets better. Um, I just think the philosophical question is, and I don't even think it's a question at this point, is that I think you are better off focusing on defense on a game plan situ- in a game plan strategy as opposed to a system. Like, we play this defensive system right. every single week, and when we run up against a team that's good against this defensive system, we are screwed. I think you're way better at going, well, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to figure out what the best thing to play against the offense that we're coming up against is because ultimately that's the whole point of this is to stop them. Um, And I think Belichick has done that for his entire career. One of the reasons I think people didn't do it is because it's harder, right? You need these guys to be good at everything. But I think the league is trended in that direction anyway. Nobody plays man coverage every snap anymore. Like even the teams that play man coverage – only play at like 50 odd percent of the plays you know nobody's playing 95 percent man coverage anymore it just doesn't happen so you already expect these guys to be able to do everything at which point embrace that and just like lean into it with the game plans every single week the Colts were doing that a little bit with with Eberflus too you just it went unnoticed because they didn't make the playoffs this year versus the previous year they played a ton of zone they just had I don't know that it's changed the game plan every week so much as Either like the, the Colts just they played to their talent. They hid their talent in a zone scheme. I, th- I think the Chiefs did more of that than they did game planning specifically for their opponents this year. Mm-hmm. Is hiding their talent in a scheme that made sense, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's the way to go. The trick is making sure that you have a defensive coordinator, I guess, that you can trust too, right? Yeah, and look, it, you know, sometimes it's not going to be enough. Like you're still going to lose. Either way, I think able to execute. Either way, the Chiefs do need to add more talent on the defensive side of the ball if they want to look to repeat. Denver Broncos. What are you thinking here for Denver? They've they've invested at the wide receiver position the last couple of years, but they lost Emmanuel Sanders in the trade. Cortland Sutton emerged. Are they another team that's going to be in the wide receiver market, do what they can to build around Drew Locke? Wide receiver and cornerback, I think they're two big ones. Chris uh, Harris, free agent. Right, exactly. So, yeah, Cortland Sutton, I think, has emerged as a really good... Uh, wide receiver but you need more than one guy in today's nfl you need a core emmanuel sanders they traded away they need to replace that level of production that level of talent and restock that position particularly if you do have faith that you have drew lock as the future of the quarterback position uh noah Fant should help in terms of a, a matchup weapon a tight end but you need another receiver as well and then yeah cornerback with chris harris arguably your greatest player of the last decade probably moving on in free agency um we spoke to him at the super bowl little radio row interview. when are we dropping this interview we were gonna do it today i haven't do haven't it yet you want to do it right now yeah we're we spoke the, to chris harris youtube people won't we've got it we'll, queued up we'll youtube it youtube won't be able to hear it but you guys can download the podcast that, that's a good excuse to get our youtube listeners viewers to go download the to podcast. download the podcast so for podcast we'll listeners only here is our chris harris interview from the combine where i asked him where he's gonna go Mm. and he asked me where he should go okay here we go chris harris 
Broncos free agent. All right, we're here with Chris Harris Jr., Denver Broncos free agent yeah. now. So welcome, Chris. How's uh, how's everything going here? Super Bowl uh, week. It's going good, man. Uh, was, we started out fun yesterday. We did some top golf and uh, shoot, nice. just to start the weekend, man. So here's the thing, Chris. We have been pumping you up basically for your entire career. Yeah. So we're now looking for our percentage. <laughs> yeah, <we're, laughs> where's our cut? Hey, man. What's going on? <laughs> hey, that's part of y'all job, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just doing our job. We just do our <laughs> job every day. And um, we we use you as an example, right? Like, because, you know, undrafted guy and, you know, maybe not well known around the league. And we don't we don't differentiate between you or the next guy. We're just like, hey, this guy made a good play or this guy didn't make a good play. And over time, it was like, hey, Chris Harris just continues to to grade. Well, you're our number two cornerback of the decade. Is that is that reasonable? Do you think that's is that correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think. If I would have had a good season this year, I would probably finish number one. You could have been, been, <laughs> been number one. one. <laughs> could have been up there. Just, uh, that's the only thing I think about is just uh, if I would have just had a good year like I've had in my first eight years, uh, I definitely would have been number one. So that was the goal, man, is to come in the se- last season to finish number one. But it's a new decade. I'm a, uh, it's a Ten no more tell- years? No telling what's going to happen, <laughs> but I feel great, man. I'm, I'm excited about the, uh, my next venture. So what happened this year? You guys had some different schemes, different changes. Yeah, it was totally different, man. And um, just being – really, it was just in the corners, as the corners, it was just really me, you know. Right. So a lot of young guys uh, just kind of just molding them and uh, taking on the heavy responsibility every week just so they can do their – try to get the best out of them. And uh, that's just what it was. You've had a really interesting career because you started off and you were a sort of slot guy. And yeah. then, then you were playing both. You were the guy that played, you know, inside until you guys went to nickel. Yeah. Then you move outside. And, um, yeah. and then you sort of transitioned all the way. You became yeah. pure outside cornerback. Yeah. What do you want to do going forward yeah. in free agency? Do what I've done my first eight years. Just go back to doing what I've done. And uh, I just laugh, man, because people be like, oh, man, the slot's not valuable or what they're not valuable. I mean, are the, is people talking shit to Tyron Matthew right now? <laughs> right? No, not at all. They're, they're uh, talking about how versatile he is. They're talking and about how, how gonna, versatile yeah, he right. is and how valuable he is, right? right? But I'm like, that's what I do. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. So uh, hopefully um, next year or for, for, for wherever I go, um, they put me back in the – back in the situation let me do what i do you need to start using the pff data in the negotiations because oh, yeah. our stuff has been saying that the slot is actually more valuable than the guys playing outside yeah. because it, it, that's where all the the big money plays go down the seams yeah. slot yeah. slots are the guys that can take those away and neutralize yeah. guys like michael thomas and you know the, the top receivers are going right. in there they're starting to yeah. hide them in there because yes. you know Sometimes slot corners are an afterthought, right? I put my yeah. good guys on the outside, so they're they're trying to find that two way go yeah. and that advantage, right? Oh, uh, they are, man. Uh, I mean, I think I can. Every receiver I face, they do both. I right. I just wasn't allowed to go inside and do right, and, right. and, and track them there. Right. But uh, most of the top receivers, Keen Allen, Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, uh, all the top guys play inside and out. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So you gotta you gotta be able to do that and. Um, it's just because with the way the schemes are in defense, how they can double team you more on the outside, things like that. Right. And inside you can't do that, so they're able to uh, go inside and get busy. Is there anything schematically that you're looking for yeah. in free agency? How important um, is that going to be for you? Me, I think I played in every defense, man. I, yeah. Since I've, I mean, I can't even count how many D coordinators I've had. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Since I've been in the league, so I've been able to play in every situ- every uh, defense. Uh, for me, I think I'm a coach's dream because. Really, it's whatever scheme that you want to play, whatever defense that you want to put me in, uh, you can put me in. And, and I'm able to free 
I'm able to free up the whole defense and make the coach call whatever he wants. So, right. yeah, so it's really um, – I think if I'm a coach, uh, I would definitely love to have him just because you can do whatever you want. Oh. Uh-oh. Did, did you get that on Somebody. camera? Uh-oh. <laughs> we got people Man, hitting dirt down here. That Somebody was fell. not – I hope you didn't get that on camera. That would have been – Are uh, you okay? Yeah. The blooper. Okay. Let's move that. Yeah. Do y'all have bloopers on Radio Row? <laughs> we, well, we're probably going to create well, some. Well, we just yeah. did. Yeah. We just did. Can we, we're going to get one of our guys to recreate that, and we'll capture it. <laughs> make sure that um, I, feel, I feel bad now. Yeah, God. Ooh. That was a big That was a big bang. You saw but the, we move. Uh, we move on. We do. We, let's continue. <laughs> Skate on by like it never even happened. We had um, a commercial, commercial interruption. <laughs> commercial break. We're back now. We're back. Um, you saw all the stuff with uh, Darrell Rivas and Richard Sherman oh, yeah, back man. and forth on Twitter. Yeah. Where do you stand on the whole, you know, yeah. man cover corner, zone yeah. guys, tracking receivers, yeah. all that kind of stuff? I mean, I love Sherm and uh, what he does and uh, same thing with uh, Rivas, but I mean, it is harder tracking, uh, right. playing all over the field, um, playing right corner, left corner in the slot. This is harder. So um, I can see a little bit where Revis is at. and uh, But Sherm, what he does at his job and what they tell him to do uh, on the left side, he's the best at right. what he's doing. And uh, and uh, so you can't knock that away from him either. So I, I would say all three of us, we're totally – we're all different. Yeah, We're all sure. different. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're, we're all great at what we do. Uh, how different would you say? Because we always try to explain to our listeners, like draft time and uh-huh. everything, that they only look at corners playing man coverage. Yeah. How important is zone coverage in today's yeah. NFL? How often are you yeah. playing zone, and how different is yeah. that just from manning up one on one? I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to play with within the whole defensive scheme too, and play with your other teammates. Right. I think uh, uh, they kind of you can kind of lose track in the draft and be like, yeah, I can just put this guy in, but can he play with the other guys around? You know what right, I mean? Right. And that's what you got to do with the zone. Um, you got to find the right guys that mix together. Um, everybody has to be on the same chord and uh, same same page, and um, and that's what it takes, man. And, uh, but if you got a guy that can just straight play man and you know that he can do that, uh, you might want to take those guys because those guys <laughs> that are helps, rare. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you uh, noticed anything new sort of from a defensive scheme point of view to combat? You know, like RPOs became the big thing yeah. in the last couple of years. What are defenses doing now to try and deal with some of that stuff? I think um, right now it's, they're very hard to stop, um, and teams are finding ways. They're kind of, they can put you on a spread. They can right. try to do it in a, a power situation, fake the run. But um, uh, what we do, what Fangio, his mindset was to just keep the safeties high. So they never know what you're in for one. Um, if you look, if you look, if y'all go back and study it and see, most of the time the safeties are down. They kind of, you kind of know what the look is, and they're killing that. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, right. So if you kind of, if you kind of hold your shell a little bit longer, cloud their read. Cloud, yeah, cloud yeah. the read a little bit, and um, keep your keep your linebackers a little bit deeper, uh, and then uh, then normal versus right. those teams that do it. Uh, then uh, I think you have a better chance of stopping it. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite defense through the years? Does it have to be 2015, or is there a specific scheme or oh. year or whatever that sticks out to you? Super Bowl, I imagine. Uh, uh, man, all that. I mean, I've, I haven't – I like Fangio's scheme too, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really haven't – I've been fortunate to really say that I haven't had a really bad defensive coordinator. Yeah. You know what That's I mean? Good. So I've been able to just gel on all of them, really. Uh, and uh, so – I, it's hard to say, man. Wade Phillips, I like Wade's just yeah. because um, I got to do man. I got to play uh, zone. I, he blitzed me. Um, Jack Del Rio, the way he used me, I love that too. So, right. uh, 
those two coaches, I mean, those, those guys really stick out. Yeah, I got to so check out. We gotta, I'll leave Steve to wrap it up. Here. All right, my man. Great We're going to wrap man. it up now anyway. So, um, last question. Yeah. Where are we signing? Where are we going to free agency? Shoot, man, I don't know. What you think, man? I know y'all probably So, I was thinking, I don't know if you have any connections with Tampa Bay. But yeah. only because they got the they got two monsters on the outside, uh-huh. Carlton Davis and uh, Jamel Dean, and mm-hmm. I feel like you'd be a good fit in the slot yeah. for them. They play a ton of man coverage uh-huh. and everything. So I'm not telling you go down there. I'm just yeah. saying I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the opportunities. Jack's obviously back in yeah. in Washington now. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. anyway, we'll be rooting for you. We have hey, a, man, we, we have spots. you as one of our t- number ten oh, yeah. free agent. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, all that's the, fair. There's all these quarterbacks ahead of you. Quarterbacks have to be. Oh ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, so we yeah, got you yeah, at number ten in our free agent. Yeah, that'll work. That'll and, work, um, and you're getting old, you know? I know. No, I'm just kidding. I know. That's how they, Thank you, Chris. That's why they're going to drop me right there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Having us. And we're back. So the important, Podcast listeners. Yeah. The important point to take out of that is that he's definitely going. <laughs> of all the potential like, destinations, one of them wasn't Denver. Don't, don't tease it out too much. I'm just saying listen. that of all the destinations that we were talking about, Denver was not amongst them. Consequently, the Broncos need a cornerback because their best one is leaving. Look at you with your inside info because we had the interview and we had the... Go listen to it just to hear the woman falling in the background and how we all had to be professional. Except Chris. We were were all professional. Chris is a professional in something. He's professional in sports. Chris was all looking for the blooper reel. I mean... I know he was. Anyway, go check it out if you guys are on YouTube. Uh, When it posts on the... uh, you know, Apple, iTunes, that's a, the whole deal. <laughs> Apple, iTunes, I meant iTunes. Nice, yeah, slick. Is it still called iTunes? Yeah, what? right? I mean, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Apple Podcasts, just go Wherever listen. You Wherever you listen to podcasts, podcasts go just, listen. You know it's there. Go get Let's it. round out the AFC. Two more teams, Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders. So my, my slash, it is. It's Vegas. It's done. It's happened. The transition has been made. They're in Las Vegas. I think... The league calendar starts the second Tuesday of March or whatever it is. Yeah. I think they're the Oakland Raiders until the league calendar starts. They're not. They had the like unveiling of the, they transitioned. They're done. They've had the operation, the snip. It's, it's over. I need to have that as well. <laughs> or else I won't be able to win that uh, most reproductive employee <laughs> award anymore. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, the Raiders are now the Vegas Raiders. We need to change the stadium. article. It's confusing me. Well, okay. I like no. to wait till the calendar year when they. That's when the snip happens. Yeah, move it over to Las Vegas. Fair enough. Um, the Raiders probably need a quarterback. Even though, how how bummed is Derek Carr going to be when he's got his fancy new house? Next, I don't think they need a quarterback next to John Gruden, and they're going to move on from. Him. I, I'm I, I'm okay, I'm okay with Derek Carr. Do you think he'll still move to the house and just sit there staring at Gruden every time from Derek his Carr? So now I'm going to con- contradict myself. Uh-huh. Derek Carr was the guy who just missed my outlier season breakdown. If Tannehill didn't happen. Year. What? For his 2016 his 2016 year. year. Yeah. If Tannehill didn't happen, Carr probably would have made the list. Okay. Now, he's had some ga- grades in the 70s and all that stuff. I think he was like an 86 passing grade. You know what this also stemmed from? Essentially, nine quarterbacks have 90%. What is it? 82% of our top 50 grades of the decade. Mm -hmm. So nine different quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks make up 50% of them. So 25 out of the top 50 passing grade seasons were Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, and Manning. Then when you throw Big Ben, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, and Phillip Rivers into the mix, that's 82% of the top 50. 
and then Patrick Mahomes has another two, so that's even more, and he looks like the guy that's going to stay. That was where this all came from. Derek Carr like just missed having one of these top 50 seasons, and it was 2016, and it was another year where out of the blue, he was throwing the ball down the field more. He had a higher percentage of positively graded throws. He, was ha- he had a great rapport with Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, and it looked like and, and it looked like it was the natural progression, right? 14 wasn't yeah. that great. 15 was good. 16 was excellent. And okay, we're off to the races and here we go. And now we have three more years where he hasn't even come back and duplicated that mm-hmm. uh, along uh, across two different systems with different types of playmakers and all that stuff. All that said, I still think I'm okay with chasing it because if they if they go heavy on playmaker can we just get him to throw the ball down the field a little bit more? He is capable. He can do it. Matthew Stafford did it this year. They He went from conservative to aggressive. Do you think he could do it? What are you laughing at? I think chasing, chasing the high-level Derek Carr just feels like it's going to be a painful process. So Carr has a better... And this is this is this is how NFL teams get into trouble here. Carr has a better body of work than Ryan Tannehill had yeah. before Ryan Tannehill had this. This is where people. This is where teams make bad decisions. They're right. going to talk themselves into it because people are going to start thinking they could turn everybody into one year Tannehill after eight years of mediocrity. But the but whole Carr has is, a better baseline than that. Yeah, but the whole point is people gave up on Tannehill, and then now, he's, now he had this season out of nowhere. Like he didn't. It's not like. It's not like we'd invested in Tannehill expecting this outlier to come to fruition because he had that talent. No, he he crapped out. He was done. The Titans brought him in as a backup just as an emergency option in case something happened to Mariota. And it turns out the thing that happened to him was he sucked for six weeks of the season. So we had to bench him. Tannehill comes in, plays out of his mind for the rest of the season, and now we're in a problem spot of, crap, what do we do with that? Because that's not going to happen again. So we franchise tag him. But... Like, Carr, like, he had his role a few years ago, and he's never got back to that level. So, you know, do we keep chasing this endlessly? Or do we eventually go, look, it's not coming back. Let's find someone that is better. I'd be flirting, at least. But I also think they're another team that just needs to invest heavily in playmakers and back seven. Really secondary. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all pass game driven. I mean, honestly, last year's defense could use a, an upgrade pretty much across the board. Yeah, agreed. I thought Trayvon Mullen was okay as a rookie. I still didn't like him as the 40th player in the draft. Jonathan Abram, we didn't get to see, but he was a run stopping safety. Another thing, Josh Jacobs was an excellent running back, but he was unable to really move the needle for this team that needs to be able to win in the pass game. And I don't know. I I'm I'm also believing that you can get this aggressiveness out of Derek Carr and his six is a dot of six and like blowouts and stuff like that. Like somebody's got to get him throwing the ball down the field because he's capable and he can do it. And I think I'd probably at least give that one more shot if I had they're the team I keep I would double up at receiver with as well. Them and Green Bay and maybe a couple others. Double up at receiver and, and you gotta give that a shot. They are the team I I mean I think at this point you have to treat Derek Carr like he's Alex Smith and say, okay Oh if like maybe a Mahomes comes, yeah. we can coax the greatest season of his life out of Alex Smith. On the other hand, maybe the best way of doing that is to draft his replacement. Yeah, and that wouldn't be a bad idea. Try and make him do it that way. And all that's like, he does play a lot like Alex Smith in the conservative nature and um, takes care of the ball and all that stuff. But I think he's more more capable than Alex Smith of being 
the gunslinger, you know, chunk play guy. Instead of like again, I don't know how ingrained I mean, Smith it is. was always capable of it. He didn't. I think cars cars got better arm talents to do that. I would say consistently. Like Alex Smith, I've always defended and said I've seen it. I've seen flashes. He could do it, but I, but cars done some like special stuff throwing the ball down the field at his peak. Eh, I don't think Alex Smith's arm was ever a problem. He just didn't ever do it. So whole roster. Yeah, in Las Vegas, pretty much. I mean, Josh Jacobs can stay; he's good. Yeah, whole uh, roster it, in anything Darren past Waller, game related. Turns out he's he's good. Yeah, Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs can stay. Build around those guys. Everyone else is on borrowed time. We can replace them. Max Crosby dramatically outplayed Cleveland Furl. Um, as a, it was a nice fourth round pick. He did not play outplay Nick Bosa though. No, not even close. All right, right let's wrap it up. Most other edge rushers with the Los Angeles Chargers. And we went. Other than we've got quarterback, of course. You've got to figure out the quarterback situation. They're going to be in the market to draft. Are they in the Her- Herbert Tua sweepstakes? Where do they go there? I saw a thing Jordan the other Love. Day that was, we are, you know, this day X number of years ago, and it was the Los Angeles Chargers got the okay to move to San Diego because they effectively were tired of being in the shadow of the Los Angeles Rams and needed to find their own fan base. Now, they've <laughs> back to Los Angeles, where they're not just in the shadow of the Rams, but actually in their stadium, like, yeah. as, a, as a tenant. I don't even understand. They're, like, living in the nanny flat in the basement. I don't understand. I, I don't know the history of it that well. Other, I mean, I know when the teams moved and all that stuff. I don't understand the NFL's need to push teams back to Los Angeles. Like oh, I definitely this. understand that. I don't understand the need to push the Chargers back to Los Angeles. Like, yeah, the Rams like, make sense. The Chargers makes no sense. Do the Rams make sense? Yes. 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 It's not like they've got the best situation over there either. No, but they weren't there that long ago. They have a colossal investment in a new stadium complex. Yeah, I mean, I and, like the Rams. They're better than the And Los Chargers, Angeles but. is one of the biggest media markets in the country. So that makes perfect sense to me. Plus, at the time they were moving them, they were really good. Yeah. which helps. Um, the Chargers have none of that going for them because they're a tenant in somebody else's stadium. They have no fan base to speak of because they moved a long time before that. They didn't have the best of fan bases in the world in San Diego, let alone back in Los Angeles. And they're not good. Like, they've got... There's... there's no. It's a bad move. Bad, bad, bad idea. <laughs> anyway, the Chargers... I mean, this is like... O-line, O-line, O-line. The 10th straight year we've said O-line and interior D-line for them. Yeah, only this time now you need a quarterback because he's no longer capable of overcoming the bad offensive line and he's probably leaving. And he's not signed. Yeah. Um, The difficult part here is they've tried to address the O-line. They did it a couple years ago in the draft. They, They added, they put some draft capital into it. They have to keep going. Yeah. That's that's the frustrating part from a team building standpoint is when you just can't fill those immediate needs first first off you don't want to draft needs and then if you do and you miss by the time you're going to fix those needs you have other ones and that's part of the issue i think there's some teams that are just bad at evaluating offensive linemen because the vikings have this problem as well they keep swinging like you can't it's hard to accuse them of not investing in the offensive line because between free agency you know riley reef they brought in guys um you know mike remmers they've it's already done and been finish with that they've drafted guys first rounders they've thrown a lot at this and almost all of them are bad or at least not good they haven't actually fixed anything so okay you just keep doing it or 
do you try and find another option? Because, like, so remember the Raiders a few years ago during that 2016 car season, they actually assembled one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and they did it unusually by free agency. They actually invested mm-hmm. money, significant money, in this group, and it because of that, it lasted a less it lasted less time than these lines that are built through the draft where you get like a few years of cheapness and then you can sort of upgrade it over time. The Raiders assemble this thing and for like a one year, it was really, really good. And then it kind of fell apart pretty quickly. But like, is that what a team like the Chargers need to do? Where they need to go, okay, we were bad at drafting these guys. We can't project them. Whatever it is, it's a, it's a hole in the system. We can work on the back end. But for the moment, this is a more acute need than that. Let's start throwing money and draft capital at anybody, any offensive lineman that moves that's got a proven track record at the NFL level. Yeah. Like, is that the answer? It's one of my favorite things about football and team building is there are different ways to do it. And when the Raiders did that back in 2016, I mean, they, were, they had Donald Penn, Kelechi Osamele, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson. They were awesome. And yeah. then it was like Austin Howard played right tackle. He was the worst player. And he's like, you know, reasonable for, for a right tackle. You're right, though. It was tough to sustain. I am a big fan. From an O-line standpoint, I think you have to get guys from everywhere. I think you have to get um, like an Austin Howard type, a guy that's done it at a half-decent level at some point in his career. Like um, Jared Valdir the last couple years. Like maybe you could just, you know, and he could be part of your mediocre line. You have to draft some guys and hope that they develop because they're, they're the hardest position to, to play well early. Which is what, what what makes Ryan Ramchak what he's doing so special right now, and some of these other guys, Quentin Nelson. It's tough to bank on them early, and then you have a guy like Laramie Tunsil who did develop in year four. I mean, part of the trick I think is getting those guys in year three, four, or five, even though someone else drafted them. Yeah, that's when they're going to be taking their biggest leap. I think that could be part of the trick for the Chargers. Maybe trade for a guy that's about to get paid somewhere else. And lock up, you know, lock him up. So let essentially let some other team deal with the developmental years, and then you snatch him up as he's going to take that that step forward. So maybe that's part of the Charger strategy. But just drafting another two linemen, if they're not good, if they don't develop, then you're in the same situation in a couple of years. And then interior D line, Jerry Tillery was a big di- disappointment, and it's been. They've got edge defenders. They've got guys that can cover on the back end. Same story for the Chargers. If they can get a little bit more interior push, even if they move guys around off the edge, if they can get a little bit more interior push, helps that D quite a bit. Yeah. And then, of course, quarterback. And, yeah, the quarterback situation. There you go. AFC team needs. Yeah. So we'll do NFC on Thursday. Have a little bit more draft discussion on Thursday. Our uh, esteemed podcast producers are suggesting we end on opening weekend XFL. I know you'll be keen on that. Apparently, it, it moved the needle in terms of uh, engagement. 3.3 million viewers compared to 2.9 for AAF. Yeah. Not bad. You know what they did? They did right? Well, they so there's a few things they did right, actually. One, I, you and I both liked the kickoffs. This idea of nobody yeah. moves until, until the guy gets the It's like one ball. big running play. Right. Up front. It's kind of... I, I don't hate that. I've, I've heard thought, people saying, too, like, when, do the, when does the defense start stunting? Right. The offense starts pulling. Mm-hmm. There's so much. Everyone basically is working vanilla on that. I think there's a lot you can do with that to make that fun. For sure. Yeah. They're just like, hey, let's just right. go. So I think that is actually really good. I didn't think I would like that specific change, but I think it's a good one. Um, the So I think the broadcast has done a good job in terms of the, the extra point options. 
in terms of throwing the lines up. You know, here's one point, two or yeah. three points, five points, whatever it is, of the different lines overlaying it like the first down line and that kind of thing on, on the graphic. I think that works well. The other thing is for the second consecutive year, a new league has come in and shown the NFL how to do replay better. And at some point, the NFL should probably start paying attention to that because the AAF had the sky judge and all this kind of stuff. And it was great. The XFL has a video official and he can a review anything. This and reminds B, me of rugby. And B, you hear the conversation, which is exactly the same as rugby's TMO. You hear... Where's your what rugby fine You hear jar. the conversation. So even... And the thing is, it's not like they're getting them all right. But it does... It's better because you can hear what they're saying, right? You understand the process that went in. So when the dude comes in and announces it, the play stands, yeah. you heard what they were they talking about. They don't want that. They don't they, want it, but they should. Because the conversation's like, listen, you screwed this team three other times. Let's try not, not to screw them the fourth time. See, that's the thing, right? By not putting it out there, by having it hidden behind this layer of silence, that's what people assume the conversation is. The number of morons on my Twitter that actually genuinely think the NFL is rigged and are like, oh, they wouldn't want it. Like, Oh, I'm not saying it's rigged, but I do think that there's some... But people do. Makeup call stuff. That's the and, thing, right? But they're trying to like balance it out after The a while. number of people that actually genuinely think the whole thing is rigged to like promote, oh, this no, team... No, they think we're rigged. I mean, I, I get it. They, everybody wants to By simply it. broadcasting those conversations, you remove all of that crap because people can just genuinely put it down to incompetence. It's Hanlon's razor, right? It's it never put down to malice what can simply be attributed to idiocy. That's officiating, right? They're not, there isn't some master plan about how we, how we make up for this, how we screw this team. It's just, no, we're morons. We're getting it wrong, but here you go. Here's, here's what it sounds like when we get it wrong. It's better. It's better across the board. The AF did it better. The XFL is doing it better. And rugby, rugby does it better. Does it better. NFL needs to do it better. The end. Now we can end. See? And Cardell Jones was awesome. Finish. This is the XFL is the opportunity for people that had first round grades on Cardell Jones and other mediocre quarterbacks. Quentin Flowers. To um you know, to finally have their day in the sun. Well, it's about time. I told you Cardell could play. I mean, yes, he could play in the XFL. No names. I never doubted that. There we go. That's the show. Once again, congratulations to my partner here, Hall of Famer Sam Monson. So when you sign a check, throw a little HOF in there now, or how does that work? Do you write checks? As little as I can. I mean, when you sign your name, you're going to put a little HOF from now on? No. Do you get it on your business card? That's a good question. It's a good question. Can I give your email address out and how simple it is? Uh, this was earned from Hall of no. Fame status. Okay. Okay. Forget it. Stop talking and end the podcast. This is. I hear the music. You started as one of the worst podcasts you've ever had. Now you're trying to end it that way as well. I'm giving the old signal. We're done. See you guys Thursday. quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense 
actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.